On July 1st, 1976, Annalise Michelle died after undergoing 67 sessions of the rite of exorcism, being supposedly possessed by a number of demons, including Lucifer and Judas. The 2005 movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose tells the legal aftermath of a case based on Annalise's tragic death. This is based on a true crime. everyone and welcome to this week's minisode uh, coming at you a little bit late but <laughs> hopefully you haven't forgotten about us in the whole uh, one week and two days <laughs> between our last episode and this um, we want to start with a quick shout out to our new five-star reviews from true crime drive and Ty ph um, thank you so much. Your reviews mean so much to us. And if you haven't reviewed us yet, uh, get on that. What's stopping you? I'm not stopping you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. Definitely not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the reviews. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, so since this is a mini-sode, let's cut the banter and get into it. So Annalise Michelle was born September 21st, 1952, and she lived with her family in a rural town in Bavaria, West Germany. Her parents were Joseph and Anna Michelle, and they raised Annalise and her three sisters as devout Catholics. They attended mass twice a week, which is quite a lot to me considering... (laughs) I have attended mass zero times ever. So they, their whole family ignored the reformations and they did not believe that a simple atonement for sin could get them into heaven. So in 1969, when Annalise was 16, she suffered from her first seizure and she was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. The doctors told her family that this condition could cause changes in mood, hallucinations, and loss of awareness. The following year, in 1970, after her third seizure, she was prescribed a drug called Dilantin. It was an anti-convulsion drug, which could cause suicidal thoughts and depression. And shortly after she was prescribed this drug, she began to see demonic faces while she was praying. And these faces told her that she was going to stew in hell. And when she told her doctors about this uh, new development, they prescribed her with a drug that was used to treat schizophrenia. None of these medications uh, seemed to help Annalise at all. And she became more and more depressed to the point where... Even though she had this strict religious upbringing, she began to think about suicide. And during this time, she also continued to suffer from convulsions. And when the doctors eventually ran out of different medicines for her to try, the family began to suspect that there was perhaps a spiritual cause for her uh, ailments. One main factor in this is that in addition to her seeing those demonic faces and hearing their voices, she developed a hatred for religious places and symbols. And this specifically was thought to be 
caused by demonic possession. Which has to be scary. I mean, not just for her to experience, but her family as well. Yeah. So um, the family went to their church and they asked for an exorcism to be performed. They were informed that a request like that needed to be approved through a bishop. And so Pastor Ernst Alt came to observe Annalise. He witnessed several things, including her shaking on the floor, hurting herself, eating insects, urinating on the floor before lapping up like a dog, and eating coal. So Pastor Alt believed that these actions prove that Annalise was possessed by demons rather than suffering a serious medical condition. So to start the process, he wrote to Bishop Joseph Stengel about his observations, and he also included a letter written by Annalise where she said that she, quote, wanted to suffer for other people. He called for an exorcism in accordance with the ritual Romanium of 1614. It's the Roman Catholic rite that contains the rites of exorcism. So Bishop Stengel approved the request, and then he sent Father Arnold Rentz to perform the exorcism, but they called for total secrecy. They began what would end up being 67 sessions on September 24th of 1975. And following the very first session, Annalise's parents refused to let medical doctors treat their daughter, and they decided to rely solely on the church. I think not the greatest idea, as we will see. Yeah, well, and especially starting off with that very first session. Yeah. So once or twice a week, Rents and Alt would chain Annalise to the bed and perform the rite of exorcism. And each of these sessions, they actually recorded on cassette tapes. So during these sessions, Annalise would claim to be possessed by a number of demons, including Lucifer, Judas, Nero, Cain, Hitler, and a disgraced Frankish priest from the 16th century. During one of these sessions, Annalise spoke as Judas and said that Hitler was not well-liked in hell because he bragged a lot. <laughs> and I'm not religious, but I do like the idea of Hitler being bullied by Judas in hell because why not? Yeah, that yeah. seems appropriate. So for a short time after the exorcisms began, Annalise did show some signs of improvement and she even attended school and church. But this period of reprieve was very short. And by the spring of 1976, her condition worsened further and she began to lash out at her family members, biting and scratching them or hurting herself if she couldn't get to them. And during this time, Annalise would often speak of, quote, dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. She also began to refuse to eat. And at first she said that the demons that were possessing her wouldn't allow her to eat. But then later on, she would say that it was her own choice to not eat. So after about 10 months of these weekly sessions, on July 1st of 1976, Annalise was found dead in her home. An autopsy found that her cause of death was malnutrition and dehydration, and that she was also suffering from pneumonia. At the time of her death, she weighed only 68 pounds and had two broken knees from performing continuous genuflections, which was when she would be standing up and then go down on her knees to, um, to pray. And she was only 23 years old. It's just awful. Awful, yeah. awful, awful. Imagine having two broken knees and not seeking medical treatment. No. <laughs> I had like the not. tiniest fracture on my foot and I was like, straight to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except I recently almost cut off my finger and we didn't go to the doctor for that. So, you know. 
That's an exaggeration. <laughs> I, I protest. Yeah, it wasn't cutting. I think it was a surface. I feel wound. like I'm a, a I'm a big baby, so you know, if it seemed remotely like it needed to go to a doctor's office, I would have been all over that. Yep, we may need to perform an exorcism on me. I'm just saying. Your finger might be possessed. It might by be. Judas. Yeah, yeah. a little mini Evil Dead, uh, Deadite finger. Oh. So investigators determined that Annalise's death was preventable, and in 1976, her parents and priests Ernst Alt and Arnold Renz were charged with criminally negligent homicide. The Michelle's lawyers argued that the exorcism was protected by the German constitution, which was part of their religious beliefs, and attempted to prove that the exorcism was real by playing cassette recordings in court. The prosecutors contended, and with the support of medical professionals, that the so-called exorcism was a manifestation of her strict religious upbringing and mental illness. The jury found them all guilty, and they were sentenced to six months, which was reduced to three years of probation and a fine. Bishop Stengel, who approved the exorcism but was never put on trial, stated that had he known how sick Annalise was, he would have never approved the exorcism. After the trial, the church also officially changed their position on this case to state that Annalise was not possessed, but rather suffered from mental illness. Shortly after the trial, Annalise's parents asked for permission to exhume her remains to officially place her in a new coffin since she was buried in a rush in a cheap coffin. The real reason, though, was to look for any potential signs that she may still be possessed. On uh, February 25th of 1978, her remains were exhumed and placed in a new oak coffin that was lined with tin. Officials at the time reported that the state of her body had deteriorated in a manner consistent with her being buried for two years, and Arnold Rentz would later on say that he had not been allowed to enter the mortuary. Her body was buried at the outer edges of the cemetery ground, normally reserved for the illegitimate children and for suicides. I also feel like it is incredibly tragic that after everything, she couldn't even be buried in the church grounds. She was an extremely religious person, a very, very devout Catholic who, at least in my opinion, suffered from serious mental illness. And they buried her on the outer edges of the cemetery instead of with her family. Yeah, it's just really sad. Yeah. So this case dramatically impacted the stance of the Catholic Church, particularly the Catholic Church in Germany, toward exorcisms. In 1984, German bishops and theologians reviewed the case and found that the church did not do enough to help a girl who was clearly suffering from mental illness. Uh, They also found that the use of specific phrases during the exorcism rites, such as, quote, I command thee, unclean spirit, can feed into the delusions of individuals suffering from mental illness. The commission requested that these lines be changed, but they were ignored by the Vatican. Uh, However, in 1999, Pope John Paul II made the rules for who would be allowed to have an exorcism much more strict. So essentially exorcisms can now only be applied in the rarest of cases. Despite the jury ruling and the Catholic Church changing its stance on Annalise's exorcism, uh, some Catholic pilgrims will still occasionally go to the site of her grave to pay their respects, believing that she was a martyr. 
And in 2005, when the movie that we'll be talking about in a minute, uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, was released, The Telegraph interviewed Annalise's mother, who was still alive and still living in the house where the exorcism took place. And she said, quote, I know that we did the right thing because I saw the sign of Christ in her hands. She was bearing stigmata, and that was a sign from God that we should exorcise the demons. She died to save other lost souls to atone for their sins. That's the, that's the story, the true story behind the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I guess some of this we'll chat about during the movie, but yeah, I don't I'm going to save my discussion for the movie because I have some strong feelings about this movie and whether it should even exist. So, shall we? Oh, uh, yeah, but since we are talking about I guess mental illness, just wanted to quickly just list a resource for if you are feeling suicidal the national suicide prevention hotline is 1-800-273-8255 so they're available 24 hours every day yes that's an excellent resource all right well we're gonna transition over to a movie discussion so sit tight and we'll be right back i don't care about my reputation what i care about is telling emily rose's story Church venerates thee as her guardian and protector. To thee, the Lord has entrusted the souls of the redeemed to be led into heaven. Pray therefore the God of peace to crush Satan beneath our feet. Do you understand how long they can put you away for this? I want people to hear what only I can tell. And what is that? What really happened to Emily and why? So she believed that her actual possession began that night at the hospital? I think she did. Emily had epilepsy. Father Moore's beliefs are based on superstition. Did Father Moore ask you to give her any medical help? I couldn't help her. Why couldn't you help her? Because there are no injections against the devil. Emily? Hey. Demons exist whether you believe in them or not. Just be careful, Aaron. There are forces surrounding this trial. Emily, can you hear me? We're back. Uh, we're going to talk about the 2005 film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was directed by Scott Derrickson. The writers were Paul Harris Boardman and also the director, Scott Derrickson. And it's starring um, a couple of people that you may recognize. Emily Rose herself is played by Jennifer Carpenter. She was, has a big role in the Dexter TV show. Yes, serial the, killing the uh, sister right which yep. i could never get into that show i have a lot of trouble rooting for a serial killer even when he's killing bad folks <laughs> yeah i'm not into dexter either i do that thing though where i'm like you know it really didn't get in i really wasn't into it i watched like the first four seasons and <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know if i made it 
four episodes in. Wow. Yeah, d- not not a fan of Dexter, but eh, I know a lot of people dig it. So I heard it ended uh, <laughs> had an awful ending. I haven't heard anything about the ending. I better read it. I love spoilers. Yeah, um, we all know I love spoilers. Yeah, I know, right? Spoilers abound in all of our episodes. Yeah. So yeah, hold on. The character of Father Moore is played by Tom Wilkinson. Um, Which I guess Father Moore is like the uh, what's his name, Rin Rin's yep. uh, character. So he's the one that actually performs the exorcism. Right, and then on the uh, representing the legal side of the story is Laura Linney, played by played by <laughs> Aaron Bruner, played by Laura Linney, and also um, character actor Campbell Scott, who plays Ethan Thomas, who is the prosecuting attorney in the film. All right, so uh, we mentioned Scott Derrickson, the director. He has a really eclectic filmography. The He has another horror film that he directed called Sinister, which is a pretty fun, I guess. Well, I don't I don't guess. Sinister is pretty fun. I enjoy it. It's a low, lower-budget Blumhouse production starring Ethan Hawke, and it's about a father that finds some haunted footage in the attic of the home that they live in. And, uh, Which I have not seen Sinister, but in my mind, I always confuse it with Insidious because they're like synonyms, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In Sinister. Wait, no. <laughs> uh, insidious. Uh-huh. Yeah, that. Hmm, that's good. I like that. Okay, but the other the other odd movie that he directed is last year's Doctor Strange. Which I loved. Yeah, it's Doctor Strange is fun. Starring uh, everyone's favorite actor who plays Sherlock Holmes, except not me hashtag team robert downey jr <laughs> no just kidding I, I actually i love the, the sherlock series there are two different takes well, wait. on the character and i love them both yeah season three and four no just just <laughs> seasons one and two All right. no thank you to yeah. seasons three and four yeah <laughs> okay so a lot of the there's not a lot of trivia really behind this movie because it's such a straightforward procedural slash horror movie based on some true events. I guess a lot of the things that I read on it were based on Jennifer Carpenter's performance and her portrayal of a woman that has been possessed. During her audition, she had performed the silent scream, which we see in a lot of exorcism movies. Um, I think it's kind of like the person trying to get out through the possessed body. Yes. Um, And apparently that was effective enough for her to get cast in the role. In, in, In addition to her skills as a as an actor all right yeah no she she did a good job i thought i thought she did a really good job she's not my issue with the movie yeah see me getting worked up over here (laughs) (laughs) all right so you know brief that's it but we're gonna jump right into this movie so chelsea what did you think the exorcism of emily rose it made me very angry (laughs) how Um, so i feel like this is a case and this will happen occasionally where the fact that it's based on true events, you know, very often it is a benefit for movies, especially for the movies that I enjoy. You know, that's why we have this podcast. But I do think you need to be very careful with these sorts of movies to treat the the real case with a certain level of respect. And I think that the story of Annalise Michelle is tragic and it's important and it you know changed the catholic church and i don't understand why they couldn't make a movie about it 
telling more of the real story. There's maybe a movie in there where you can have some question as to whether or not she was possessed. I think that there are people, you know, I want I want to be respectful of people who, you know, do believe in possession as, you know, part of their religion. Um, but you know, the Catholic Church said that she wasn't possessed, that she was suffering from a mental illness and the reason that she had the thoughts that she did and the visions that she did were really because of her strict Catholic upbringing. <laughs> and if you want to make a movie where there's some question as to whether she is really possessed, then okay, that's fine. But, you know, this is a story about someone who died. <laughs> it's it's hard, you know, saying whether or not she's killed because, you know, she refused to eat. But they were, her family and the priests were tried and convicted of negligent homicide and that's really what it was (laughs) it was negligent homicide this was a girl who was trapped in her own delusions she could not get out of it and the people who were supposed to love her and take care of her didn't help her she had two broken knees (laughs) and she starved to death in her home right right and this movie they treat it it's a supernatural movie So it's like she's actually possessed. And the question is whether the priest can convince Laura Linney, who could then maybe go on and convince the jury that she was actually possessed. But there's not really any question in the movie as to whether or not she's possessed. You see her become possessed. And it just really sat wrong with me. (laughs) And, you know, in in addition to that, I'm going to say the movie was not scary at all. (laughs) I guess you're supposed to think that the, like, demons that were possessing Annalise Michelle are now, you know, kind of staking out the trial and watching for the outcome. And like they cause one of the witnesses to die. And like Laura Linney starts waking up at three in the morning or something. It's just like it, there never felt like there was never a sense of urgency because you kind of know from the beginning what happened to Annalise. So they're just like going backwards and telling the story of what happened to her as the trial is happening with like a series of flashbacks i don't think it was very effective as a film i don't think it was scary i think if you want a good exorcism movie there's one out there (laughs) it's called the exorcist so yeah i mean let's just say we watched it so you don't have to (laughs) take a hard (laughs) pass on this one (laughs) go Maybe they could put that on the poster yeah. for the, uh, what would it be a 15th anniversary re-release in like three years? Yep. The Exorcism of Emily Rose returning in theaters for its 20th anniversary based on a true crime says, we watched it so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Someone, someone should Photoshop that poster. And yeah. by someone, I mean one of us. <laughs> you know. I don't know. I mean, no, no, I know we have listeners out there and we appreciate every one of you. Yes, but, fly my pretties. But David has Photoshop, so I'm going to make him do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, David, what did you think of the movie? This this is this isn't a tough one really, but I'll just preface it by saying a lot of people seem to like this movie. It has it's just shy of of being fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's rotten. So it's like split down the middle. Um, what did the audience? Did you see the audience score? Do they Yeah, the audience like was it? a little higher. I feel like so. that's usually how it is with like the more genre films. Right. Which like it's one of those films where, okay, it's like a modern horror movie that's not super gory. You know, they try to do something a little bit different. I feel like I probably no, not probably. I definitely would have liked it more 
if I had not just read about the real case and been like kind of upset about that happening to someone. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, this this story to me, okay, so it's very it's totally competently made. I I feel like Scott Derrickson is a good director. The performances are good, and on the surface, this seems like just a a comp. You know, it's like a, a solid. I don't know. On a technical level, the film seems decent. But immediately it become it, it like it became clear to me that this is a story that should have been about neglect or at the very least like a question of like belief or faith. Instead it it just immediately there's no question that she was possessed by a supernatural entity or a demon or whatever it is. And since this was based on a true story, I feel similar to you in that you know she's just done a, a grave disservice i think that it it doesn't really work for me on an entertaining possession movie it doesn't go far enough um into that because so much time is spent in the courtroom it's almost like an episode of law and order or another one of those shows yeah yeah definitely i agree i i think this movie deserved to have, have been a straight up dramatization of the true events instead of trying to meld these two like stories together because we have plenty of exorcism movies exorcism stories seem to be one of not the easiest films to make horror movies to make but i do think from like an independent filmmaking if you're an indie filmmaker you make a zombie movie make a possession movie possession movies are the easiest because it only involves one person right like they're a lot cheaper to make too right it's like you probably need a good actor to play whoever's possessed and you know they did I mean, they definitely cast Jennifer Carpenter well um, in the role of Emily Rose, but I just really wasn't into this movie. I had to really, really, really struggle to concentrate um, yeah. on on the film. Yeah, I feel like I would like to get someone who's like Catholic's opinion on this movie because I will always be less affected by exorcism stories than someone who has been raised to see this as a real thing. Like to me, it's you know, it's like a a ghost movie, <laughs> I'd probably be more affected by those if I believed in ghosts. But that doesn't mean that I don't like them. Like that doesn't mean that I don't watch them and be scared because The Exorcist was incredibly scary, <laughs> and I love that movie and I really like The Exorcist TV show. But it just this one just did not have the magic. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm a really tough sell with exorcism movies. I I don't connect with them really that much. Um, but I I do agree that The Exorcist itself is an amazingly powerful movie and i i don't know what it is about the film itself other than it's brilliant uh <laughs> i yeah i just i don't know I, I think they're kind of boring to me and i think that i think it does depend on like you said like what your i guess religious beliefs or experiences growing up or or you know and this movie does not get into i think the the kind of almost body horror that the exorcist does i don't want to recommend that you go online and check them out but there are pictures of annalise michelle kind of after you know the exorcism so you know when she weighs 67 pounds and they do kind of get into that in the beginning of the movie when the um, prosecutor shows the jury a picture of emily rose after the exorcism where you see her you know really emaciated and battered um so it's like it's hard because you know my problem with the movie is that it treated the possession as fact but it also didn't really go far enough in that so even though it's treating the exorcism as fact what they show 
could like plausibly just be her pretending and you know one thing i feel like when you think of the exorcist what you picture in your mind is like that reagan puppet (laughs) you know that's that's clearly not just like a badly beaten person that is a monster (laughs) that is not human and we've seen that puppet oh we did see that puppet at the museum of the movie and image in uh, new york city yeah yeah so so yeah my my issues with the movie really What's what's the term? Run the gamut, span span the everything. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. There's, I don't think there's anything that I like about the movie. It has Tom Wilkinson in it, and I oh, like yeah. Tom Wilkinson in general. I didn't think he was anything special in the movie. No, I like Laura Linney, but none of you know none of them really stood out. It's just not a very good movie. In addition to me having problems with the premise, so. Yeah, sorry, just, sorry if you like the Exodus of Emily Rose. It's bound to happen in this podcast. We have opinions. <laughs> we we are humans with opinions, and you are also humans with opinions. Hopefully. <laughs> yep. Well, I don't know. I think uh, I think Potty Man says it best when he gives this eight out of ten stars with the headline "Excellent on so many levels: A lesson in mainstream filmmaking." Quote. Wonderful, wonderful movie, a lesson in filmmaking. I know a lot of people won't be able to see it for what it is because of the supernatural horror elements, which are usually a turnoff for film snobs, but the movie is just extremely well made. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's got my number. I'm absolutely a film snob. (laughs) Nothing will beat my greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, reanimator. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stuart Gordon's 1985 horror masterpiece. Yep. Yeah. yeah, do yourself a favor. If you have not seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose and you have not seen any other movie that we've talked about in this podcast, watch the other movie instead. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's a movie that we've covered or mentioned in conversation that I've liked less. Yeah, no, that nothing fair? comes to mind. I mean, even though we weren't like, The Strangers is the most amazing movie ever, but we, we had a ton of great things to say about it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's they're night in and different day leagues. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, Strangers is not for me, but it's good. This, I would say that this is bad. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, All right. zero out of five stars. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm sure someone else has said it in the last 12 years, but. If you haven't heard it elsewhere, then you did hear it here first. So And it's two hours long, so Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It felt like it was four hours long. And don't get me wrong, I have nothing against two hour movies. I love a two hour movie, you know. But I no. rarely love a two hour movie. Except in Cold Blood. Go watch In Cold Blood instead. Yeah. Oh yeah. oh totally, of course. Yeah. And if you want your Exorcism movie, watch Exorcist again. Yes. Or we can highly recommend the Exorcist T V show. Yeah, check that out yeah. too. All right. Well, let's wrap up this mini set while it's still mini. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got to say about the exorcism of Emily Rose for sure. Yeah. Probably the last thing we'll ever say about it. <laughs> yeah. Two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully we did not uh, scare away the Emily Rose super fans. If you're out there listening. Yeah. You all are still cool in our book. <laughs> yeah. We still appreciate you listening, but please don't give us a one star review because we didn't like Emily Rose. <laughs> Wait, we didn't like it? No, we love I the mean, we loved it. Yeah. the best movie ever made. Mm, so good. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Scott Derrickson, what? what are you <laughs> yes. 
rate, review, subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at Based on a True Crime, Twitter, True Crime Based, Facebook, Based on a True Crime Podcast, Based on a True Crime.com. Thanks yeah. so much for being loyal listeners. We love you all. Yes, we love you even if you love The Exorcism of Emily Rose, especially if you love The Exorcism of Emily Rose and don't hate us right now. <laughs> um, we also just finished. Uh, writing out our October episodes and we're pretty excited. So we are, we're in look, the... look forward to it. October is going to be a great month. It is. Yep. It is. We're looking forward to it. I'm excited. All right. Remember death is but a door. And Way. time. <laughs> death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.